0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I share my recent guest visit on the Thought Leader Way podcast.
1: Welcome viewers to the second season of uh, my knowledge series, uh, The Thought Leader Way, uh, where I bring together thought leaders from across the world, uh, from various domains to share their perspectives and insights into what has made them a thought leader in their area. Today, my guest is Jonathan Westover. Uh, Welcome, Jonathan.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, real pleasure to have you. Uh, Jonathan is an award winning uh, Amazon number one best selling author. He's ranked number one for HR, innovation, and future of uh, global work uh, uh, for thought leadership in that space by Thinkers360. He's an entrepreneur, management consultant, a teacher, and research academic at Woodbury School of Business at Utah Valley University. He serves on a host of nonprofit, uh, community, and association boards and committees. Uh, he's also received uh, numerous awards for his teaching, research, and service to the community. So, wow, Jonathan, that's, you've really got your plate full Have wearing multiple uh, hats. So, it's a real uh, pleasure to have you today on this show.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It, it really is a pleasure. I love having the opportunity to talk and share uh, experiences with you and your listeners.
1: Wonderful. So, uh, Jonathan, why do you think thought leadership matters now more than ever in this uh, new normal or the altered world uh, that
0: we talk of? Yeah, it's a, it's a really important question. And I suppose the motivations behind thought leadership and developing yourself into a thought leader uh, probably vary depending on your role, your position, the industry you're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I'm a, a professor first and foremost.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so I, I conduct academic research. I teach courses at the university. Um, and for years, I've been publishing academic research, uh, and w- which has a really important role, uh, you know, to further the expansion of of scientific knowledge in, in the areas that I focused on, which are leadership, uh, workplace ethics, employee engagement, HR, organizational development, change, those sorts of topics. So I've done lots of academic research in those areas, and. The problem with academic research, though, while it's important, is that it's a very limited yeah. audience for that research. And so you spend hundreds of hours, uh, sometimes thousands of hours working on a research project, writing up the results, getting it published in an academic journal. And then there's really only a, even for the, the most impactful research articles, it's a relatively small number of people that are actually going to uh read that and, and use it in some meaningful way. And because all of my research is so application oriented anyways, mm. like how do we make the workplace better several years back? You know, I, I, it, it shouldn't have been difficult, but it was a bit of an aha moment for me that I, I came to this realization that wait a minute, I need to do more to translate my academic research to more of a practitioner audience mm. um, in more digestible snippets and chunks that people can use so that we can actually make, um, organizations better and improve the lives of leaders and the people in their teams that we can start making those improvements today. Hmm. Um, so for me, that's what motivated me to get into this thought leadership space. I was already heavily into the academic research space, lots of fellowships and awards and things like that. Um, so I, I demonstrated that, um, expertise and 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 those credentials already. Um, but what I hadn't done is really fully put myself out there into the practitioner space uh, to engage with a much, much more broad audience. Um, now that's so that's my motivation. I wanted to reach more people. Mm-hmm. Um, for for others um, you, who are already in the industry space, who are practitioners day in and day out. Um, I, I think so much of it's about personal branding as well as organizational branding, drawing attention to what your organization can do for your customers, for the for the broader business community at large.
1: Hmm.
0: There is so much noise out there yeah. uh, in the world, so much information, a glut of information. We, we're not um, running up short on content. And so it can be scary to get into the, the practitioner thought leadership space because, you know, you're one of thousands uh, of people that are providing similar types of content into that space. Um, And so that's why, you know, we'll, we'll get into it more uh, later, I'm sure with additional questions, but why you find your niche, why you focus in on, on specific areas that you have expertise in. Uh, But over time you, you do as you put out regularly um, systematically over time, you will start to gain a following, you'll start to um, see the impact of your work. And it's incredibly rewarding to, to know that something I wrote, um, or a, a presentation I made, or a podcast episode I put out there, uh, actually made a difference in the life of, of sure. one or more people. Sure. Right? So I guess that's what gets me up in the morning. And what made me really invested in, you know, prioritizing this and putting more of my time into the thought leadership space.
1: That's really nice. That's really nice. So you mentioned that you had an aha moment where you said, uh, listen, I am in the academic space. So how do I uh, get more into the practitioner thought leadership space? And you also rightly mentioned that there are too many people there and there is so much content out there. So what is your thought leader way? Uh, Because you've now been recognized in the Thinkers 360 as the B2B thought leaders to watch out for. right. So you've cracked the formula, right? So would you like to share what, what your thought leader way is?
0: Yeah, it, well, my I'll, I'll say this is my way, right? It's not the yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it was really just being consistent. Um, mm-hmm. I, I started to dabble uh, even five years ago mm-hmm. um, in doing more thought leadership stuff, doing work with think tanks, um, some of those types of things, doing policy-oriented Mm-hmm. Um, articles in relation to my research, but even policy related reports and articles doesn't reach as many people, you know, as, as like a thousand word, you know, shorter um, practitioner oriented article. And right. so that was my first kind of step into that space. And I really liked it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I really felt like it was meaningful. Uh, and, and so I started to step further and further into that space. And then really, you know, I'd done quite a bit before the pandemic, Mm. but this, this last, uh, this last February, March, as we started to really get um, hammered by the pandemic and lockdowns are happening and people are really worried, you know, I I made the decision that I would reinvest and commit my time towards thought leadership. And I, and I started working, I spent time every day. Mm. Uh, I, I spent a good chunk of time in uh, reaching out to professionals and doing interviews, uh, producing podcast episodes, writing for outlets, you know, like Forbes or mm. uh, H- various HR.com uh, magazines, uh, U.S. News, uh, ver- various outlets, right? I just started mm. with every every day. I, I had things to say and um, I had things that I thought were important uh, within the context of the pandemic. Um, and because of that, you know, I, I just, I made sure that I committed time every day as part of my routine to getting my thoughts out there, whether it was verbally, you know, in a podcast or a, or a webinar format or in a written format. And before I knew it, I was actually kind of surprised as, as the months went by, uh, the amount of content I had created, uh, and kind of the consistency in my branding. Um, I started to develop, you know, a, a followership and, Um, and the, the content was valued. Uh, and then, you know, I, I became aware of places like thinkers 360 Mm. and I had just published a book. Um, and you know, everything started to line up. And at that point, you know, I realized this, this really is working out. Um, and have I cracked the code completely? Do I have it all figured out? No, um, And to be honest, I'm still only a year or so into heavily being in the thought leadership space, but the, the, the consistency and the commitment to it, you know, I've produced hundreds of, of practitioner articles that have shown up in, in major publications. I've published now 400 plus podcast episodes, several hundred webinars, like just the consistency in putting value out there, like content that people need and want and can utilize if, if you're doing that consistently you'll you will start to make a difference
1: so it's being committed being consistent and creating value uh, based content so so that's absolutely the real, the real differentiator so uh, jonathan you've done the work in a lot of spaces right so so you're you're an entrepreneur you're a management consultant you're into academics so how how do you manage to uh, showcase thought leadership across these areas or do you choose to pick one area and go deep into that so what what do you think is your way
0: you know what I've found is it is each of these areas are really complementary mm. so you know my consulting work um, that I do in conjunction with you know my entrepreneurial endeavor my consulting firm um, that provides a great avenue because I you know at a minimum I can always put up content on my Consulting website. I have a very robust set of offerings uh, on my website in terms of, you know, short practitioner articles, blog posts, research briefs, research snapshots, um, the books that we've put out, uh, webinars, podcasts, all all of those things. Right, Mm -hmm. all of it's hosted on the website. So that's a great way to brand the thought leadership, and to drive business, you know, towards the consulting work. Okay. Um, But on the other hand, you know, I would say everything that I've done in terms of the practitioner oriented thought leadership has spun out of my research. Mm -hmm. So for, for, you know, a decade and a half, I've been doing research in this space and Mm -hmm. only, only really until this last year or so, um, you know, had I, had I really in this last year, had I really started putting in the, the work to, to break the really dense academic research into smaller chunks of usable information and practical information that people can use to improve their leadership approach, their team dynamics, their organizational effectiveness, uh, etc. And so everything on on my website in terms of thought leadership is um, connected and, and linked back to my my original research. Uh, and then I also you know have a lot of opportunity then to to then put that into other outlets, like like Forbes articles or whatever, and then link back to those and put those on my website too. So so the so the entrepreneurial effort in the consulting firm becomes the hub for the mm. thought leadership to drive more clients and work okay. towards the consulting, and it's an outcropping of the research that I've done. Um, now I understand a lot of people listening or watching this may not, you know, be in the academic space the same way I've been. Mm. Um, but you can do this basically the same thing as you tap into your existing areas of expertise. You don't have to reinvent the wheel, learn something new. Um, yeah. Look at what you're already doing, what you, where you already have expertise, where you've already been doing lots of great work and figure out how can you start to translate that into, into meaningful, meaningful value-added content mm-hmm. that will be beneficial to, to others out there. Okay. Uh, and then, and then find a place to host it. And then you're off and running.
1: Okay. Okay. So getting into some of the research that you've done, right? So, so you focus on leadership, you focus on organizations and future of work. Uh, so, so based on your research, what are some uh, top three trends that you foresee uh, with respect to future of workplaces?
0: Yeah, this has, has been something I've spent a lot of time uh, working on. Uh, and, for a really long time, I was, I was basically looking at the past into the present. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, looking back over the last 50 years, in particular, and looking at the trends and the shifts in economic composition, and um, the the dynamics around the workplace and the nature of work and how that shifted and the the experience of employees in the workplace and how that shifted over the last 50 years or so. And Mm -hmm. then that that gets us to where we are today. Mm -hmm. Around five years or so ago, um, you know, I, I decided it's time because we see so many of these, these trends from the past are continuing a trajectory into the future. Mm-hmm. And, because of what we're seeing and the, the amount of disruption that it, it's time to start focusing a little bit more on, not just the past and the present of work, but the future of work. Uh, and we don't have a crystal ball. Like, it, I can't do research on the future of work, you know, in, in the same way that I do research on the current conditions or the past. But I can look at the trends and um, the trajectories, and I can um, talk to experts yeah. and conduct interviews about what other people, you know, view as these likely trends and, and future. Um, conditions in the workplace. And so that's what i focused a lot of time on over the last several years. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. As we were getting into this pandemic, I actually wrote a a, a thought piece back in in the middle to late March last year. So right after all the the lockdowns started to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and at the time I was making the argument that the pandemic was going to be an accelerator mm-hmm. uh, and a catalyst to push us towards, um, the already, uh, you know, uh, approaching and emerging future of work mm-hmm. that everything that people had been predicting might be happening in the next 10, 20 years, this pandemic is, is speeding up that process yeah. and pushing us into it much faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I wasn't really—I hadn't seen anyone else really talking about that. I think people were just so um, struck by the moment and uh, trying to to hustle to to move to remote work and figure out how they're going to keep their business afloat. Um, but since then, of course, that's that idea has really um, caught hold, mm. and now now most people are talking about the pandemic yeah. and how it's acting as an accelerator and a catalyst towards the future of work Hmm. and here's why um and and it is it is true that is absolutely happening and here's why Uh, the techno technological disruptions uh, are probably uh factor number one you know so when you're asking what are like the the three trends moving us into the future technological disruption has been there Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're in the middle of the fourth industrial revolution. Yeah. We've been seeing these shifts for a, a long time, um, but the adoption of the existing technologies has been slow. So there, ha- there have been people on the bleeding edge adopting and, and, and leveraging these new technologies, AI um, and machine learning, uh, virt- you know, various virtual work technologies and platforms, uh, all these sorts of things. What, what the pandemic did though, is it forced people who were slow adopters to adopt overnight, right? Because all of a sudden they had no choice. Uh, They, they either had to adopt and adapt, or they were going to die and their company was going to go out of business. And so certainly there were a lot of people fumbling around, Mm -hmm. um, people not knowing how to do it, but essentially everyone almost overnight, uh, had to make that shift yeah. and, and move into embracing these technologies. And it's, it's, it's actually quite tremendous to see the amount of change yeah. in the dis the distance we've come in, in one year's time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, easily, that could have taken us five plus years yeah. To, yeah. to get to this point, maybe more, yeah. um, you know, had we not had this kind of a catalyst. Now, obviously, there's lots of hard things around the pandemic, but in that sense, it's been a really good thing because Mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, forced people to start to think through these questions and and adopt and adapt and and embrace these technologies. So technological disruption, I think is, is number one. Uh, In relation to that then is uh, the increasingly interconnected global workforce Mm -hmm. uh, and and how that's facilitated through virtual work and work from home arrangements. Mm. Um, and even many organizations, once the work kind of past the pandemic, many organizations are talking about bringing their people back to the workplace, or at least in some hybrid fashion. Yeah. But you know, the pendulum has swung so far towards virtual work. I don't think we're ever going back as yeah. far the other direction as we were before. And so organizations are con- going to continue to have to look at um, how to effectively um, embrace and utilize a, a global virtual workforce, mm.
1: um,
0: which has challenges for sure, but also provides a lot of opportunities. And And think about uh, a, a global labor market
1: mm. where,
0: you know, you're struggling to, to get skilled workers with the technical expertise in your specific, you know, whatever area it happens to be. No longer are we stuck with just battling out and competing for talent in our own geographical location. Um, Now, that was true before the pandemic, but most organizations still wanted people there physically and they still wanted people at the office and they still primarily hired from their geographical location. I think those, those assumptions have been disrupted and people's comfort level with the virtual work has increased so much that now we truly are starting to embrace Um, This idea of, of having a virtual team uh, where you have the best talent from anywhere. And it doesn't matter if I'm in the U S the UK, India, Singapore, whatever, you know, we can have people from all those places. Um, And the only constraint is the time difference really. (laughs) And so, so that, that's a tremendous opportunity, but it, it it will be reshaping um, how we work Uh, and how we collaborate. And that's something that we're going to have to continue to look at. Um, I I think maybe there's several more we could probably talk about, but um, in addition to technological disruption, in addition to um, virtual work, breaking down geographical barriers and, and and working virtually on a global scale, we also see the rise of the gig economy um, and the role of conti- the contingent workforce and contract employees. Hmm. Again, this isn't new. This has been we've been seeing this trend for the last couple of decades, and gig economies have and informal economies have existed throughout the history of mankind. <laughs> but
1: but now they're getting um, more main, mainstream. After
0: exactly, exactly. Now, especially over the last decade, they've been getting more and more mainstream. Yeah. And as we as we've come into this pandemic moment even more so. So now companies are realizing, wow, we're really struggling, you know, to make payroll, um, you know, the formal employee employer relationship has constraints around it. So, but if we're, if we're embracing this global, um, virtual workforce, that another next step to that is the gig workers. Like I I can, I can have, you know, part-time or full-time employees that are more formal employees within the organizations around all the core key functions of the, of the organization. But there are so many tangential things that aren't at the core of what the organization is trying to do Mm -hmm. and to, to develop in-house or hire a full-time person to come and do that thing, which maybe you don't have to do all the time. That's so much more expensive and inflexible than just getting gig workers to, to provide their expertise and do great work at a reasonable price. Uh, and so I think that element, uh, and really all three of those that I just mentioned, are very connected, right? Very connected. Um, none of them happen without the technological disruption. Um, it, but ultimately, all three of those areas are reshaping the, the nature of the employer-employee-employer-employee employer-employee relationship, the nature of what, like how we define work, what work even looks like, um, what the expectations are between employer and employee. Yes. Um, so for example, you know, employers, they, they like the gig economy and, and gig workers because it provides them with flexibility and it's a cost-effective approach to, you know, getting the expertise they need and yes. they can get it from anywhere. Right. So that's wonderful for employers and organizations, but more and more, particularly younger workers are preferring gig work yes. they, on, on the employee side, they really like doing that kind of work, um, because it also provides them with the flexibility, sure. the autonomy, the, the ability for them to be their own boss, essentially. And, and the, the rise of this condition of like the digital nomad, of yeah. people just going, being, living anywhere. Yeah. And and they have their skill set and they can get connected with organizations across the globe. And it doesn't matter where they are as long as they have a good internet connection. Sure. So I think all, all of those elements... Um, combined, and, and there's more we could talk about, but those yeah. those are some of the main ones that are are essentially going to reshape our very conception of the nature of work uh, and start to reshape uh, professions and jobs and the types of tasks that we do at work. It's already been happening. It's going to continue into the future.
1: So with, with this background, what do you think uh, will be the impact on leadership? because a lot of leaders may not be equipped with these kinds of changes and at such rapid uh, pace. Uh, so, so what are some uh, pointers or advice that you would like to give for leaders who would be managing this remote, global, uh, virtual uh, gig economy, Gen Z workforce, uh, all that coming in a digital uh, workplace?
0: Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is it's gonna be challenging and it's, it's, going to be different than perhaps what they've experienced in the past. And so the name of the game is agility and flexibility. Mm. Um, As a, as an organizational leader, I have to be thinking about what I'm doing, not just based on what I saw people do in the past Mm. and kind of, I have to challenge my assumptions about what I think good leadership looks like. Mm. Um, And, you know, some of the things that I may have done in the past that were effective uh, may not work anymore. Yeah. Uh, it, when I'm when I'm managing and leading a global virtual team of gig workers, for example, um, and so we have to think about all of the traditional pieces of of effective leadership. We ha- we have to continue to do, but we have to challenge our preconceived notions and assumptions, um, and we have to we have to continually be be experimenting with what's going to be most effective in this new kind of a context. So you know, in, in my relatively limited ex- limited experience myself in working with virtual teams, uh, you know, in comparison to, to others who have been in in virtual companies for for a really long time, you know, I'm I'm like many others. Like I I had done plenty of virtual collaborations and had international teams in the past, but it wasn't until this past year where I really was fully involved in that kind of a setting, and. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is that absolutely the same principles that led to effective leadership in the past still tend to um, matter now, but the application's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I have to, frankly, I have to be more deliberate mm-hmm. in in my communication with my people when I have a virtual team um, where we never see each other in person. Uh, Before it might've been, you know, we were virtual. Sometimes we were in person sometimes, you know, but when you think about organizational culture and you think about team building and dynamics and you think about uh, employee engagement and motivation and some of these factors, they're still important. It's just, you, you're going to be doing them a little bit differently now. And so I I have to be very proactive, very deliberate about making sure that I am proactively connecting with my people and reaching out to them and making sure that they um, feel supported, seen, heard, valued, all of those sorts of things. Uh, and if I'm not pr- uh, proactive and deliberate about that, then it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen organically. Mm-hmm. Like it could have happened in the past when we were in a physical uh, work environment together, where I could just pop by and, yeah. and talk to someone by their office, or we ran into each other in the hallway or by yeah, the elevator yeah. or whatever. None of that's happening anymore mm-hmm. when we're virtual. Um, and so being being re- self-reflective being willing to challenge your assumptions uh being willing to experiment and innovate in your own leadership practice i think that's the that's the mindset um that that leaders today need to ad- adopt uh, otherwise if we're too stuck in in the old ways of even what may have been very effective in the past uh, that doesn't always translate into the future true
1: true So my last question, uh, Jonathan, is for budding uh, people out there who want to become thought leaders. What's the advice that you have for them?
0: Yeah, get started. Don't wait. Um, For a long time, I thought about doing a podcast myself. And I mean, for years, I I consume podcasts. I've been a faithful listener of some of my favorite podcasts for over a decade or more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I, and I always thought, Hey, that would be cool. I should, I should do that. I have, I have things I could say and mm-hmm. um, people I can talk to. And I always came up with reasons and excuses for not doing it. Um, and then I finally just, you know, just bit the bullet and just decided to, to dive in and to do it. And it was a little bit scary. Um, I didn't quite know what I was doing. Um, mm-hmm there was a lot of experimentation and some trial and error, you know, in, in the, the beginning and, and a learning curve for sure. Mm. Um, but pretty quickly I got into a groove and I got into, you know, I, I, I mastered the technology needed to be, you know, utilized. Mm. Um, I fine tuned some approaches in my technique and, and pretty soon, you know, I was uh, in a place where I could very efficiently um, produce Great content, and and it was meaningful to me, invigorating for me to do it. I had the opportunity to talk. You know, I, I continue to have the opportunity to talk to so many fascinating, interesting people from around the world, and all of that is just because I finally decided to just do it. It doesn't yeah. need to be per. It doesn't need to be perfect. Yeah. Um, certainly, if you go back, I, I I'm now in season 15 of my podcast. Um, I've published you know 420 episodes or something, um, and you know, they're better now than they were at the beginning. If you go back to like season one,
1: um,
0: at times it's a little cringy just in terms of how I'm fumbling or the sound quality or those things. Um, but it was still good. It was good enough. And, and I learned as I went. Um, so don't, don't let, um, your desire for, you know, quality and perfection, uh, be the enemy of progress, right? Mm -hmm. Just, just get started, get going, get moving. Same thing with writing, Mm. um, or being involved in webinars or things like that. You have expertise, Mm. um, think about how you can share that and whether, whether it's verbally, you know, podcast video, whether it's written in a book or, um, in, in practitioner articles or whatever, just get started, try it out, experiment, and and then be consistent. And if you do that, um, before you know it, you'll you'll have a body of work um, mm. that starts to speak for itself, and then people start to reach out to you
1: yeah.
0: um, to to share. Uh, so then it's not just you trying to convince other people you're worth listening to. Now people are actually reaching out to you, and yeah. asking you to contribute, and um and and your your influence will spread.
1: Great. So it was wonderful talking to you, Jonathan. Thanks for all those perspectives, practical tips for people who want to become thought leaders out there and some very interesting uh, perspectives with respect to future of work and leadership. Uh, so uh, hopefully, once the pandemic is through and uh, your know, travel restrictions are all eased up, would definitely love to meet you in person and I'm in the US. So, so really nice uh, talking to you once again and uh, look forward to collaborating in future as well.
0: Yes, thank you. And I would love to, to uh, see you as well. I, I love traveling around the world and uh, perhaps we'll have that opportunity sometime in the near absolutely.
1: future. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you.
0: Thank you. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine,